Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, we um, are gathered together as, as believers in you. We trust the work of Jesus Christ. We trust that what you did on the cross, Lord, was sufficient to pay for the ugliness of our sin, Lord, and to remove it. We trust, Lord, that when you shed your blood, that it was enough to to atone for and take away our sin, Lord, not just to make it less, but to remove it. And we trust also, Lord, that when you rose from the grave, you showed that you defeated death itself, that it is no longer something that is going to stand before us as a barrier in our minds and in our hearts, but that you have also, as, as Dan said, cleared the way, Lord, through that momentous, amazing thing, Lord. And how cool is it that in history, the, the time of your life and the time of your death and the time of your resurrection has literally divided how we see history into two halves. And Lord, we are so blessed and so thankful that we can know you and that we are here today, Lord, to learn from you and from this amazing book that you have given to us, the Bible. And I just pray, Lord, that you would anoint the study, Lord. Anoint these who are here to listen or those who are listening online. Lord, would you please give me the breath with which to speak and the urgency with which to speak it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 1 actually up to verse 10, but we're really going to be focusing on verses 3 through 5. And feel free to put that up there on the the screen as we go through this. Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I I beg you, him writing to the Corinthian church, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled." And he goes on, he says, do you look at these at things according to the outward appearance? And here he's really challenging the Corinthian church, just as he is challenging us. Do you just look at the outside of things? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification, and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, of course, and we're reading one of the letters, right? He has written to this church before, the book of 1 Corinthians. He's writing again. He's saying, we've heard some stuff about the letters I've written you. I've gotten some feedback about it. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Paul is such a fascinating figure in the New Testament. I mean, he wrote so much of it. And there's this really interesting um, 
un, like, um, extra-biblical source that talks about Paul and describes him physically. The source says that Paul looked like this. He was somewhat feeble. He had bowed legs. It was maybe something like that. He had eyebrows that touched. So we're talking that Paul had a unibrow. Is that crazy? Frida Kahlo style, everything, you know. He was, uh, in, in appearance, he, uh, you know, somewhat, you know, okay body, but he looked weak. And, and what he's dealing with here with this church is he's saying, you guys look at me from the outside, and, and you judge me from the outside, and that's all you see. He said, when, when, I'm, when I'm with you, you look at me, and you think that I am maybe spiritually what I appear to be externally in my body. And of course, for anyone who knows Paul and has read his letters, you know that Paul is like a force of nature when it comes to the things of Jesus. And he's a force of nature when it comes to the things of spiritual maturity and, and, and fruitfulness and the things that he did. But he's also a force of nature for us to learn from in the focus of our message here today, verse 3 through 5, in this realm of how do you go through life and what goes between your two ears. This is a message about the life of the mind for the Christian. But he has to talk to the Corinthians and kind of convince them, guys, you have to look deeper than what you are currently looking at. Not judging by what you see only externally, but that which is within. And let's go back and just look at these verses here in the, in the middle where we're going to be focused on. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And just as Paul had to kind of, kind of, get after the Corinthian church, who was known, by the way, as being a rather carnal church. They were ones who, who probably went after like the, the King Saul versus the King David, for those of you who are aware of that, that difference in the Old Testament. And just as he had to kind of go after them for their understanding, he has to now wrestle with them and go after them for what and how do you think and how do you process the things that go through your mind? Now, the things of this world, think about contemporary America, the thought life, the things that go on in our society and our culture. There is an epidemic of, in some cases, just mental illness or mental disease. People don't know how to think clearly or rightly. They don't even know what clear thinking is. It is an, actually an epidemic. And for us, for the last 50 to 60 years, in the scientific world, they have tried to solve this problem with medicine. They've tried to give every kind of medicine there is. Oh, if we can just balance your thinking by giving you this drug, and if we can just give you this and help you with this. The unfortunate thing is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but has mental health increased in, in goodness and quality, or has it continued to dive down? People wrestle with the things of their minds all day long. You do, I do. The thoughts that take you captive, the thoughts that lead you down the wrong paths, the thoughts that you have to say no to, the things that you have to say, I'm not going to think that way anymore. This is part of the wrestling that we experience in life. And it's something that we as believers have to make sure that we have a check on this because it controls so much of your life. As a man thinks, so he is, right? And look at this interesting article. This is from Scientific American. Go ahead to the next slide here. And this guy is writing about things that he has, he has observed in his, his exploration. This is just a, a secular study. He's, he's looked at things from the perspective of, are these drugs, are these things working in how we're approaching the idea of, of mental illness or how, the quality of people's thinking? And he writes this, surveying all the different studies that he's seen. And he says, we believe that the current drug-based paradigm of care has failed our society. And that scientific research, as well as the lived experience of those who have been diagnosed with psychiatric disorder, calls for profound 
change. Let me summarize his statement. It's not working. And now, I'm up here, I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a, I don't have anything to do with all these, these drugs. I don't know a lot about them. But I will say this. If you have tried some of these, or if you are maybe on medication or something of that nature, perhaps you need to try adding what the scripture says about how to deal with your thoughts as well. I'm not saying to like go off, but consider what Paul is saying here, because this area that he's talking about is so important for the controlling of your life. And actually, it's so important for your and my freedom in Christ to take captive the thoughts that lead to such poor actions and poor things in our thinking and doing is hugely important to living the freedom that Christ wants us to live as we follow him. Now, pull up the next screen real quick. You guys probably remember this scene, right? What's the movie here? Yeah, it's the good one. It's the original. Now, there's this famous scene, right? Mr. Miyagi. You guys remember Mr. Miyagi? Right? right? You remember trying that? I had Karate Kid pajamas when I was a kid. Before I go to bed every night, I'd be like, yeah. So he's trying to teach this guy how to catch flies with chopsticks. Is that a good idea? Not really, right? And if, if you're like me, if, if, uh, so imagine the fly in the situation is the nagging thoughts that you have in your mind, the ones that you can't chase down. You know, it's, it's hard to catch flies, right? You're, you and me, we're not masters. We're not like Mr. Miyagi. You know? we're, we're not Paul. And you can perhaps even look at yourself and be like, well, I'm not Paul, so I'm not as good at this as, as Paul was. Neither am I. If I tried to catch flies with chopsticks, I would fail, and I bet the most of you would fail as well. I mean, that is a tall order. But what Paul is trying to get us to see is that, you know, he's not asking us to be Mr. Miyagi. He's asking us to accept the fact that there is a better tool for dealing with your thought life, and that tool is, next slide, please. This. Now, I can wallop me some flies with this. No problem. And what Paul wants you and me to realize is that he has a fly swatter for you. <laughs> He's not just handing you chopsticks and expecting you to do some kind of superhuman thing. No, it's really more about understanding that God has a way to help you with all the thoughts that you struggle with, the same thoughts that I struggle with, the same thoughts that you struggle with, the same thoughts that everyone struggles with all the time, from lusts to fears to anxieties. He has a better tool for us to use, and that tool is in this scripture. The first thing we have to realize from this scripture is what is expressed for us in verse 3. And again, this goes back to how Paul was trying to kind of convince and walk the Corinthian church and help them to like operate better, operate more Christ-like and less according to the flesh. And he says in verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, and that is all of us, we have bodies, we came to church today, we use them, we are in this flesh. Yes, that's true. But we do not war according to the flesh. And this is step one. The things of your thinking are not going to be conquered with more thinking. Some people think that. It's a lot of thought had going through those couple sentences. If I can just think through this more clearly, if I can just think more about this, if I can just, I just need to write it down and kind of think. And, and, and I'm, of course, I'm not talking about like the process of like scientific discovery or, or like if you're planning a vacation, I'm not saying you shouldn't think through that by no means, but like that if you have a problem in your mind, some people think that if I just think more about it, it's going to go away. No, because this is a spiritual problem. 
It is a problem that is based on the fact that you have a soul, you have a spirit, and that is where the battle is going on. That is where you will either win or lose that battle. In Paul's native land, he grew up in Tarsus, in Cilicia. And that is a town that is somewhat on the coast in in modern-day Turkey. And 50 years before Paul was born, there is this rocky outcrop near the sea. And pirates had taken this area and had controlled this little portion near the sea. And because they could control that little portion, they were not just controlling that, they were controlling everything around it. And this, of course, gets to the, excuse me, to the area of strongholds. Because they were able to control that one portion, they were able to control everything coming into the sea in that area and also the land behind it. Because they controlled one area, they were able to control a lot of area. And the same is true for you and me. If there is a stronghold in your thinking, there's a stronghold in how you behave and react to things, that's not just going to control a little piece of your life. It's going to spread and control a large area, and it will, in fact, affect other ways of your thinking and processing that you may be even unaware of. But again, you're not going to accomplish destroying that stronghold by doing more thinking. Oswald Chambers has this awesome thing of, who's my Oswald Chambers fans here? It's amazing devotional writing, right? If you're, if, you're not, uh, if you're looking for a good devotional book, my utmost for his highest is where it's at. Let's just put it that way. But he talks about this issue of muddy thinking or muddy situations in your life. And he says, you're not going to think it through. The only way that you can get through a muddy situation is to obey it through. Obedience is the way to conquer muddiness. Think about someone who's underwater. Have you heard of people who are scuba diving and they're down there and they're, and they're, they're trying to search for something? If they move around too much while they're down there, what happens? They stir up all the silt and the sand and pretty soon they can't see. Their eyes are open. The problem is not their eyes. The problem is the muddiness that has been created. And when we try to think through our problems with more thinking, rather than through submission, through surrender, through obedience to Christ, it doesn't get any muddy. It doesn't get any clearer. In fact, often, what happens, guys? It gets muddier and muckier and more frustrating. And you're like, I just can't get through this. It's just driving me nuts. Well, that's because you're using the wrong tool. You're trying to do this again. Paul is saying there's a better tool. There's a better way. But you have to recognize first and foremost, this is a spiritual battle. It has to be dealt with in the realm of the spirit. It has to be you going to the Lord and then doing this next part of the recipe. So he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that that scripture is there. Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You know, it's so interesting. It doesn't say it's mighty in God for perhaps helping you deal with a stronghold, but it says for pulling them down. That means this has a 100% chance of success if you do it. That God is able to pull down the strongholds that are in your life and in my life. But what are the strongholds in your life, and how do you go about pulling them down? Well, first of all, you need to identify what they are. Like, what is the root that is the problem in my thinking? Why do I think this way? Why do I keep struggling maybe with the same sins? Why do I keep struggling with the same things over and over and over again? You ever had that experience? I sure have. Read this about what Matthew Henry, the famous Bible commentator, says about strongholds. He says, ignorance, prejudices, beloved lusts are Satan's strongholds in the souls of some. Vain imaginations, 
carnal reasonings and high thoughts or proud conceits. By these ways, the devil endeavors to keep men from faith and obedience to the gospel and secures his possession of the hearts of men as his own house or property. Now that last sentence really got me, right? That what Satan is doing when he he brings a stronghold into your life or allows one to remain in your life is he is securing possession of you. He's saying, I'm going to be your house. And I don't like that. I don't want to live that way. I don't like that because that's not freedom. That's bondage. And that's exactly what a spiritual stronghold is, is it's bondage. And an easy, even easier or simpler way to think through this is, what is a stronghold? What is the thing that you have to kind of pull down and then give to God? It's believing anything that's a lie and treating a lie as the truth. Maybe you've, maybe you've said these things in your mind. Maybe you've thought them as you go through the day. You ever thought, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the ability to accomplish this thing that the Lord is asking me to do, or even just to live this regular day. Maybe you thought, I could never be a good leader. I could never accomplish what I've been called to. I, I, look at my, my past is just too dirty. A lot of people get stuck on that one. You don't know what I've, what I've been through. I, I can't. That's a stronghold. I'm, I'm, maybe you're worried about everything. I, every single thing that I experience, there's a worriness. Of like, well, if, they, if we're going to do this, then what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this happens? That's a stronghold of worry. Anxiousness. This is a huge one in our day. We, people anxious over literally nothing. The, the enemy has come in and taken people and said, I'm going to just make you anxious about everything. Like if the toaster pops out of the toaster just a little bit too fast and makes too much noise, it's going to startle you. An age of anxiety? Are you kidding me? This is Satan's playground. This is a stronghold that we should be anxious, as the scriptures say, for nothing. Maybe you don't trust others. Everyone does it wrong. If you're a mechanic, every, every place you go to, they're going to they're gonna mess up the car. I just know it. Or you're overly critical. I'm always going to deal with this weakness in my life. Have you ever thought that? Man, I've had this since I was a kid. It's not going away. I'm just going to live with it. That in and of itself is a stronghold. You're believing a lie, and you're letting that take the place of God's truth. How about this one? I'll always be single. Nobody loves me. I'm not worthy of God's love or anyone else's love. These are things we think. These are things we struggle with. And they are not good. They are strongholds of the evil one. And he wants nothing more than to keep you captive in that thought. To believe that lie and to live it as though it were a truth. And it's not. Pulling down a stronghold means to take that thing that is the root, the root idea, the thought that comes, pulling it down and saying literally, I'm not going to entertain this. The the Greek expression for pulling down a stronghold is, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh, not going to think that anymore. That's Koine Greek, by the way. But seriously, you have to pull it down. That's the part that's your job. God's job is he's the fly swatter. He's the one who's able to kind of take care of the thought. But you have to be willing to do your part. Your part is to pull it down, to identify it and say, I'm not going to react or let this be the thing that controls my thinking, my being, my doing. I'm going to pull it down. Earlier this week, we had a little problem at our house. We, have, uh, we live a little bit out in the country, so we have a well and a septic system. And I was teaching a, a music lesson on Monday, and um, I hear a little bit of commotion outside my, my studio. 
And I hear, well, I don't know. It's, I just not, it's not working. You know, I'm like, what's going on out there? And I hear, I hear the words, no water. It's like, what? So I go out there. There's no water for the whole house. I'm not freaking out because I'm like, this, this stuff happens with some regularity. Um, one of the pumps is off or something has to be reset or somebody left on one of the switches or turned it off. Or I, you know. So we go and we check all these things and they're all run, running just fine. So I'm like, oh. So we go out and the, the, we, we check the pump that is at the well itself. That one's not working. And the electricity that it's plugged into is... is is fine, but it's like it's tripped something. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be costly. So then we call the place, and they're like, well, it's probably your your pump is out. But uh, see, where do you live? We say, well, we live in North Naples. Well, well, what kind of what kind of uh, um, pipe do you have? Is it a two inch or a four inch? We start getting into all these details, and all you know. Long story short, is they say to us, well, it may not just be the pump. It may be that your well is completely dry, and you have to drill a new well. We've been hearing stories that people with certain size... And so in my mind is going like, this is, this is my thinking, right? One, step one is, oh, it's probably not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Step two, pump the pump's out. Oh, that's a little bit more money. That's about a thousand bucks. That's a little nerve-wracking. And then step three, the well is done, you know? And that's like 10 to 15 grand. So within about five minutes, I go... Oh, and by the way, I did not pass this test. I failed this test. That's why I'm telling you this, right? I went from, eh, to, ah, uh, to, ah, uh, like, and that's pretty much me, okay? That's, that's my progression. I don't know what yours is, but, and, and my wife actually kind of looked at me, and she was just like, Jeff, let's just, you know, she's kind of like, like, sometimes she has, to, she, has to, she has to look at me, and she goes, like, whenever I fail, she goes, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> That's what we do at right house, right? When I'm failing the thing that I'm preaching on, right? And of course, the Lord knows this. He's, he's been pre- preparing me, honestly, all week for this. I've got all kinds of stuff that I'm not even going to share about. <laughs> Pastor Jeff. Oh, and I go, oh, no, I failed again, failed again. Didn't take my thoughts captive. But as it would, as it would work out, we, we did pray. We said, okay, Lord, we know our lives are in your hands. And and Lord, uh, you know exactly that this was going to happen. You know exactly what, what needs to happen. And you know, even if it's the ten dollars to $15,000 answer, I guess we'll deal with it. Because you'll provide for us, right? He's never, he's never leaving me. He's never forsaken me, right? So much of our battle comes in that, that verse right there. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And there is such peace that comes in the heart and the mind and you just hold on to that verse. And the Lord had verses upon verses that he was giving me this week as I dealt with that amidst other things. Pulling down the stronghold. Because that, that, that anxiousness that you go through, it will just, it takes a hold of you. That's why it's called a stronghold. Because it's holding you and it's strong. I mean, duh. Sorry, I'd say it to myself, right? You can ask me later what, what ended up being the problem. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to make you guys figure it out. <laughs> but I, will, I, want to, I do want to say this about, about strongholds because I, I think it's really important. Strongholds often occur in your, in your life when something sinful has happened to you. Maybe it's an abuse that you went through. Maybe it's a bad experience. I know people have had all kinds of experiences. Maybe you had a bad experience with church growing up. Maybe you had a bad experience with a family member. There was maybe verbal abuse, or there was physical abuse, or sexual abuse. And, and this is kind of hard to talk about, so please bear with me. What we do when we go through times of trial and times of pain, and times where you're receiving something that, that you don't deserve to receive. In the flesh, what we often do is this. Instead of exposing it and immediately going to the Lord for healing for it, which, by the way, if you don't know now, that's what you are supposed to do whenever you experience being hurt 
or wherever you experience pain, you're just supposed to immediately go to the Lord for physical healing. You go to the Lord for emotional healing. You go to the Lord for heart and mind healing. That's what you do as a Christian. You ask him to heal you. But so often when we experience these things, maybe you haven't had the knowledge of these verses or, or you didn't know what to do with it. And so what we do in the flesh is this, is we, 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 we cover up the pain. And that's where we begin to believe things that are lies because we're trying to protect ourselves from the pain, right? Let's say, let's say you're abused. It's a lot easier in the moment to say, well, I guess I just deserve it because I'm not really worthy. And that feels good in the moment, right? Because you're like, well, it's, it's making the pain less, right? It's like what a beer does when you're having a bad day. It solves the symptom for a little bit, covers it up. But then what happens is we have to have another layer of the lie the next time. And we believe it more strongly because it is never the same. You have to add more to it. And it wasn't, it's, not, it's not just one beer that is required for the covering up or the lie. It's two. And I have to not only say I'm not worthy, I have to say I'm really unworthy. And what you're doing is you're building a callus, a very bad callus over the wound, and you're never going to get healed from it. And that's how the stronghold grows, layer by layer by layer. Why is it that prostitutes think the way they think? Why is it that a dictator thinks the way they think? It's not just something that happened like that. Layers upon layers have happened where they didn't heal the initial wound. And now the person themselves is a callous. Have you ever talked to a person who's calloused? Where everything is either someone else's fault or, or, or everything is, is the result of this one thing and they're just they're not able to see clearly. It's because they have literally built a life out of pain and covering it up the wrong way. And what Paul is saying to you and what I would say to you, and I plead this with my heart, pull down, pull down the strongholds in your life. Well, yeah, Pastor Jeff, but that's, that's easier said than done, isn't it? I pull them down, but then they pop back up again. Okay, let's go on to step two. What do I do then? They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You have to recognize that the thing that you're pulling down is a lie. And not only that, but it is a lie that is against the knowledge of God. These things, they're in competition. It's not just like, oh, it's not, it's not a lie. It's like, no, because God is truth. And this is going against that. When, when you say something like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm fearful that this is going to happen in the future. I, I think that if I do this, that this is going to happen. And, and it's a worry, and it's an anxiousness, and it's an, an anxiety, and, and you're operating according to that. And that's, that's, that's the, the, the stronghold of worry and anxiousness. What you're actually doing is you're making yourself a false prophet of the future. You're saying, I know what's going to happen in the future. That's false prophecy. Who's the one that knows the future? The only one. God Almighty. So you got to recognize that that thought that you have is against the knowledge of God. Every high thing that tries to do that is against the knowledge of God, is against His truth. And you have to say, okay, not only am I going to pull this down, but I'm going to give it to God, and I have to have something in return. What do I have to have? A promise of God that I'm going to remember in my heart, that I'm going to remember in my mind, and I'm going to take hold of this instead. And now you begin to have a spiritual, a good stronghold, a truth hold. That's what you need. You need a truth hold. Please show the next slide. There's this awesome device 
If you've ever seen train tracks over a, a wide span, or sometimes in a train yard, there's this device called a train switch, and it makes this huge sound, which I'm going to attempt to do for you now. It's, I think if I'm holding a giant lever, and it goes, ka-chunk. And that one device and that one ka-chunk has the ability to take an incredibly weighty and powerful train that is tons upon tons upon tons and redirect it from that path to this path. That's what Paul is telling us to do. You got to have something that switches the thought, ka-chunk, and say, I'm not thinking that way anymore because God's word says this. And that's what he's talking about when he says this next thing. We cast down the arguments. We cast down the high things. The word for arguments is logismos. It's actually you formed a false type of logic in your mind. And it says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Taking every thought into captivity. You are, you are no longer the victim of your thoughts. You take them captive. And then, how do you make them obey Christ? You simply give them to him. You say, Lord, I, I have this thought. I keep thinking this. I keep wondering this. I keep, I keep fearing this. I keep being anxious about this. Lord, what am I supposed to think instead? And that's the great switch. Ka-chunk. And then a word comes. This week, as I experienced yet one more thing, the Lord spoke into my mind, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You're probably familiar with this verse, and if it's not in your memory bank, you need to get this one because it's incredibly important. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. All you guys know the verse. Well, then you read it. One, two, three. Trust in the Lord. Didn't we talk about this at the beginning? Mental health, health to your flesh, strength to your bones. Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be strong? Then you must learn to fight this battle, and you must learn to fight it the right way. That's the exchange. It's this, just as you brought your sins to Jesus... And he exchanged them, right? He took them from you. He bore, he bore on the cross the sins of the world, past, present, future. He literally had them upon him. He took them. And what does he give you in exchange? Eternal life. Peace that passes understanding. Strength. Health to your flesh, strength to your bones. Another scripture that's really important in this battle is Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And that's, again, that's the exchange. We pull down the stronghold, we give it to the Lord, and we say, there's something good in my life, something, just one thing, just pick one thing. I'm alive. Lord, praise him for the one good thing. And then what's the second thing? I have, I have a job, you know? Or I'm able to think. Or my nose still works. I don't know, you know? <laughs> if there is any virtue if there is anything praiseworthy and you begin to change and exchange out all the criticisms and all the anxiousness and all the stuff for praise, and you begin to praise the Lord right where you are. 
one of the most important things you can do is learning to praise the Lord, not just during our worship set. That is a wonderful time. That is a, a primer for the week, but it's not supposed to stop there. It's supposed to be something that you continue on as a lifestyle, that you praise the Lord as you walk through the day, that you praise the Lord as you walk through your trial, that you praise the Lord as you walk through every valley. You praise the Lord in the valley. It's easy to praise the Lord on the mountaintop. It's health to your bones to praise him in the valley. This is where the battle is won and lost. The valley. You all have valleys. Some of you go from this to this quickly. What are you going to do down here? You're going you're gonna to grovel? Have a pity party? Sorry. How's that working out for you? Most pity parties don't end up on the happy side. Sorry, just, just going to point that out, right? You just feel worse. You struggle with depression? Praise him in the valley. Take that depressing thought, take that thought, whatever it is that's bringing you down, captive and kajunk. <laughs> Smack that thing down. No, 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 I'm not going to think that way anymore. Lord, if there's anything praiseworthy, something, something, something. You know what? I had a hamburger. Praise the Lord for the hamburger. Well, I don't, I don't care what I, I ate a milkshake, you know? Bananas exist. I'll just praise God for the existence of bananas. And the, and that's, but the truth of it is this. The things that God has us in, even when you're going through valleys, the, the, the benefits of who he is are always so great if you would just open your eyes spiritually and look around. That you thank the Lord for the chair that you're sitting in. That there's air conditioning in this place, right? There's a thousand things to praise him for if, 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 you decide to live out that verse. I'm going to look for the virtue. I'm going to look for the thing that is praiseworthy. And I'm going to meditate on these things. And then your, your, your thinking, then your thinking begins to change. And you will experience healing. Now, if you, if you really struggle with these things, you may have to surrender the thoughts that you have 50, 75, 100 times a day. That does not mean it's not working. It means you're just starting. The more you do this, the more you make the exchange, the more you pick up God's fly swatter, the better you get, the healthier your mind becomes and the more stable your life becomes. So let me tell you what happened with the well pump. The pump went out, but the well was dry. I mean, the well was not dry. So it was 1,000. And when you're thinking it's 10 to 15,000, that's not that bad. But we prayed. We prayed. We said, Lord, you know exactly what's going to happen here. Whatever the result is, just, just help us deal with it. Guy came out, fixed it. I haven't been thinking about it the last two days because it's been fixed, right? And you have water. But when I pulled up to the grocery store to get water with the kids in the car, I was a little bit testy. <laughs> I will admit. I'm going to leave you with a couple last thoughts. There is, a, there is a need in your life and mine to become more and more people of prayer, to become people who, um, who speak to the Lord often, who, who hear from Him. And, and this, this issue of prayer is, is hugely important in, in this battle because talking to the Lord, pulling down strongholds, giving them to Him, is part of prayer life. Prayer life has so many different levels, right? There's, there's praise in prayer. There's just meditating on God's Word and, and speaking it back to Him. There's talking to Him about things. But there's a specific type of prayer that I think is really, really helpful when dealing with this issue of a stronghold, and that's intercessory prayer which is when you decide that you are going to be the person who prays on behalf of someone else. And the reason why this is so important is because for those who have specific habits that are, are, are really hard for you to defeat, there are some wonderful strategies of intercession that often can help you to get right out of the valley and the gulch. I like that word. Let's all say it together. Gulch. Yes, there's nothing, nothing praiseworthy about a gulch. 
Where was I? Oh, yeah, intercessory prayer. <laughs> Got hung up on the gulch. Hashtag. Whatever. Intercession is when you take the malady and you use it as an advantage. A pastor who, who trained me up taught me, Jeff, if you ever have thoughts of lust, which if you're a person, you have them, he said, do this, pray for every marriage you know. That's called ka-chunk, the switch. You go immediately from weakness to strength by saying, because this thought has come upon me and I'm tempted to entertain it, I'm tempted to walk down this poor road that always leads to my destruction and dismay, I will do the exact opposite. I will pray for every holy and good thing, every marriage, every relationship. And you begin to operate that everything that the enemy comes and tries to get you off onto the wrong track turns into the thing that is interceding for other people. For those of you who drive in traffic and you're always angry at every person that drives, you need to learn how to become an intercessory prayer warrior on the road. I don't know how many times I hear people say the most foolish things. Oh, this guy's from Rhode Island. People don't know how to drive in Rhode Island. What? Who are you to judge the driving habits of everybody in a particular state that you probably haven't even been to? Oh, there's this guy from Vermont. <sighs> Vermont drivers are the worst. It's like, no, they're not. You are. <laughs> and the people that usually complain the most about other people's driving, sorry, you're probably the worst driver on the road. But anyhow, when you're tempted to do that, why don't you just pray for the person? Like, you don't know what's going on in their lives, even if they're on their cell phone and drinking a beer at the same time. If, <laughs> if you just get mad at them, you're not accomplishing anything. And that's the whole point, guys. When you give in to the strongholds, nothing gets accomplished. It just gets messy. Nothing good comes. It just brings more disaster. And now you're a wreck mentally where you're going to. And then you're going to bring all that mess into the next place because you don't have the maturity to take it before the Lord and become an intercessor. Take the weaknesses that you have and through God's grace and inviting him into the situation, junk, turn it around and use it for good. If you're anxious, pray for everyone that you know that they would have God's peace. Because when the, Satan wants you to be anxious, he's trying to put you into a prison. And your response can be, why don't we let everyone out of the prisons? <laughs> Not the actual prisons. <laughs> but the prisons of their own thinking. Pray for other people to have peace. And you will see that fog begin to lift and that's the whole point, right? Is so that you and I become more effective Christians and we don't become like what Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church. We had to remind them over and over and over again, you're just looking at the outside. You're just looking at what you perceive to be feeble. You're just looking at this and it's, it's just drowning you in the same thing that drowned you before you knew, you, you knew Christ. You know Christ. Use him. Use his benefits Take down the strongholds. Take captive the thoughts and make them obey Christ. If you're here this morning and, and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to speak these words to you and tell you, if you struggle in this realm of your mind, there is freedom from you for you, but it comes by knowing Jesus as your Savior. And you must Take the simple steps of confessing your sins and inviting him into your heart to say, Lord, my sin is the problem. I need a Savior, and you're the one who hung on the cross of Calvary so that I could be forgiven and I could be free. And you will begin to notice this transformation in your life as well. And Matthew spoke these words, or I'm sorry, Jesus spoke these words through the Gospel of Matthew. If the worship team would come up. He said, come to me. 
all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you don't have Jesus in your life as your Savior, please find me or any of the other elders here this morning. Please receive him into your heart. It's, it's super simple. And it will help you with all these matters of your thinking and your freedom. Which is it going to be, guys? You've got two options. This one does not work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we just want to worship you now in spirit and in truth, Lord. We want to confess before you, maybe as, as, as we think now just to ourselves, Lord, our, our own strongholds, Lord, the things that we have been struggling with, maybe for years even. And Lord, we just want to, we want to do exactly what your scripture told us this morning. We want to take captive the stronghold and, 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 and bring it down and say, Jesus, would you please transform this area of my life? Would you please teach me how to become an intercessor and to take all the things and, and switch it over to you that you may give me your beautiful words so that I can live as a free man or a free woman, freed by the blood of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.